0: Welcome to Unbroken. I'm Alexandra Amor. I'm an author, a coach, and a lifelong explorer of what it means to be human. This is the podcast where my guests and I explore the inside-out nature of life and the positive effect this can have on every aspect of our lives, including letting go of unwanted habits. You'll find episode show notes, transcriptions, your complimentary video series, and lots more at unbrokenpodcast.com. And now, here's the show. Phil Goddard, welcome to Unbroken.
1: My gosh, thank you for inviting me. Delighted to be here. Thank you.
0: And from such a long way away, you're the second person this week that I've spoken to from the Southern Hemisphere. So thank you. Thank you for beaming your way all the way to Canada.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Only just, only just the Southern Hemisphere, I think. Uh, uh, I don't know how far, pretty close to the equator here. And yes, almost, almost the opposite side of the world, I think. Um,
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you put a pencil through the globe?
1: I guess so. I guess so. I mean, I know. I know. Actually, on the American East Coast is pretty much. Uh, I know from the time difference that's twelve hours, right? And I think ours is something like fifteen or whatever. So as I could yes. just so I was just saying to you, I recommend. I rec- I'm a, I'm essentially on the next day, and I recommend it. You know, today's <laughs> yes. a good a good day.
0: Yes. Yeah. Isn't that a funny thing that we're here? We are in the present moment, and yet you're in Wednesday, and I'm in <laughs> Tuesday. <laughs> I I'm love sure that.
1: there's some deeply profound lesson in there somewhere. <laughs> I'm sure we can find it. Yes. yes,
0: for sure. So, while we begin, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got interested in the three principles?
1: Oh gosh! So probably like many who even listen or have come across the principles i i searched um didn't know what I was searching for for most of my life I got a background in um electronics and uh, technology and um for my first career was very much in in technology i spent uh twenty six years in total in corporate a lot of leadership positions and I loved those i had my first uh, i team leader role albeit part of a small, small team, four or five people in 1991. And I loved, I I just loved that I had some um, responsibility as we all have anyway, of course, but some influence as we all have as well over um, other people. Um, This was a a formal responsibility. So it's really like from there that I, I really got um, I guess, aware of my my interest and curiosity in people. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I was doing all that stuff about reading leadership books, personal development books and stuff. But it really kicked off in 1998, like a spiritual exploration kicked off then when uh, my first marriage broke down. And uh, my brother-in-law at the time handed me M. Scott Peck's Road Less Travelled it's a beautiful, beautiful book because he opens the book with the line, life is difficult and then spends the rest of the book explaining how once we can truly accept with grace that, that it actually becomes a little bit easier. So in answer to your question, I was actually reading, I was on holiday in Sharm el Sheikh in Egypt in March 2004. So 19 years ago. Um, I was reading the seven habits of highly affected people by. I'm um, Stephen Covey and I and I and I don't I haven't gone back to this line for many years so I might have even been quoting it incorrectly but it doesn't matter because it's a line in the book which says something like between stimulus and response is a gap and in that gap lies your ultimate freedom and I dropped the book and I've referred to that as my drop the book moment <laughs> like I'm on the Sunland and I dropped I was actually shocked because I just in that moment huh? i i i i 'm creating my experience, I just saw in that moment i 'm creating my experience. gives me goosebumps now, just even relaying that story um, well, so that really started an explanation, like looking in that direction like who else is, who else has seen who else is teaching this and came across Michael Neal, started listening to his um, Hay House radio show in two thousand and seven. And which I think is about the time that he'd come across the principles. So I didn't come across the principles then, but when I came across the principles via Michael Neal, it was like, ah, okay, what a beautiful way to articulate this understanding that I felt I had seen something of, you know, I love that. Sid. Sid's very, it's a very concise, simple way of describing how we experience life, how we create our experience of life and you know essentially who we who we are so yeah that was that was my journey into the principles and of course i think gone i feel like i've gone full circle because i've had a number of times which i will call insights where it's like oh my god i've seen something deeper since um there was some, so when was that like i say 2007 2008 coming across the actual principles but even nearly 10 years after that i had a, a conversation with dick and Bediger in 2017 so i've been around i felt i'd been around this understanding a long time and that was, i really got a holy moly moment then of just seeing something deeper and even even since then it's like nuances to it so um yeah it it feels like it's been a long time and also like it's only really recently because of the because of the subtleties that we can see like i i i used to chuckle at people as well that really come on it's just it 's that simple how can, How can you suddenly see something deeper in it and it like the best insights are where you see some to me it looks like the best insights are where you see something new, but there aren 't any new words. It's was mm-hmm. like well, if I told you what i 'm seeing i 'm going to be saying exactly what I said ten years ago, but it 's like wow <laughs> yeah anyway, yes that's that 's my story and summary of the principles
0: well, I love that you connected your enjoyment of working with people in the tech world. And, and of course, now you're a coach. And I think that's just such an interesting journey. One wouldn't normally maybe, yeah, put those two things together. But, but clearly, yeah, it was a it was you were on a spectrum, sort of. If that's the right right way to describe it, I, it
1: was uh, yeah yeah it, was, it, it well for sure. It feel, I, I I get it. it. Um, and it was only a couple of years ago that uh, somebody who was coaching me helped me to see that I had been have been coaching a lot longer than I than I thought I had, mm. because right from the off, say 1991, I wanted to be the best leader and I wanted people to love me, which actually they did. Um and i would have either weekly or monthly just very regular one-on-one meetings with people in my teams and i did that all throughout my leadership career um and looking back i can see yeah that was definitely coaching i would encourage people to bring whatever they have going on and in fact i think there was at times when i was a much better coach whatever that means but i was definitely a more present Coach with these people at times, then than some of the times during my coaching training. I um, did a lot of coaching training in the US when I was trying to be somebody. I was trying to, I thought I had to be a certain kind of coach. So, yeah, I, I can see, oh my gosh, I have been coaching over 30 years because definitely having regular, regular conversations like that, some would be very intimate, but some beautiful conversations but it hadn't occurred to me that what I was doing, I didn't know what I was doing. It was just it was just one-on-ones where people just brought whatever they had going on. Well, that just definitely sounds like coaching to me.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, for sure. So I mentioned to you that I've been reading your book, Tasting Mangoes recently, which I just loved. And so I'm going to go to a couple of things that I found in the book now that I found really interesting. So one of the things you say is that um, – Often, personal development and spiritual teachings are actually asking us to transcend the human experience, but that it 's in the human experience that we find you know so much treasure as it were you didn 't use that word i 'm using that word and and I so agree with that, but I wondered if you could just expand on that a little bit for us
1: I, i've kind of had this vision, this dream that we are, arrive at, the metaphorical pearly gates, and if it uh, 's some peter there who's it's like checking off his lists and whatever. And I think I, I, for certainly the first 40 years of my life, 54 now, but definitely for the first 40 odd years, I'm, I think I might get reprimanded. Like, what the hell were you doing? You, were, you went there to be there. You didn't go there to try and escape. You know, you went there to experience everything, everything that it is to be human. And, and having said that, I can also see that this urge this desire to want to transcend whatever perhaps we mean by that, maybe I'll come back to that, Um, is also very natural. It's also very natural. Um, But I think for me, I've kind of fallen in love again with being human. Hence um, part of my brand, I guess you would say, is loving being human. That pretty much summarizes what I help people with. So where is the magic? Oh my gosh, an overused analogy. I, I, okay. Maybe you want to edit this bit out. It's so overused, but it's mm-hmm. also so perfect. Like the wave and the ocean, like the magic's also in the waves, isn't it? Right. Mm-hmm. The magic's in those, in those waves. Like I love where I live now in Bali actually is, is there's the calmest ocean probably on the island. So I love that. I love floating in that, mm. but there are people out there surfing right in the distance and stuff. Like the magic of that. And um, yeah, I think I might even say that there's there's some <laughs> magic even in the suffering. Gosh, um, I could talk about this a lot. I'm just trying to think. Well, what what do I want to summarise? Because generally, I'll be talking about this for a, a year in conversation <laughs> with people, right? So, um, what what could I what could I summarise in a in a thirty or forty minute conversation around this? I've come I've come to see, and again, it's funny how it comes right back to that very first spiritual book that I read. I've come to see that once I stopped resisting aspects of being human, including the suffering, that the absence of the resistance, in the absence of resistance, love arose. Love arises in the absence of resistance, and there's a magic in, in that. And um, I think even that desire to transcend really is coming from a feeling that, well, this should or indeed could be different. I don't know if this is right or wrong. Maybe I've got it completely the wrong way around. And and now when I get to those purdy gates, Peter says, you had it nailed on. You spent 40 years trying your best. I thought you were going to make it. And then you gave up. I don't know. How can we ever know? Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, exactly. No, I love that. Um, And, you know, and I think, too, There's, you're so right about it just being human nature, you know, to try to avoid sufferings. And I, so I really understand why we do that. Um, And, and yet, yeah, if we, if we just kind of lean in a little more, I think there is so much beauty to be to be found there you know, and less suffering when there's less resistance, for sure.
1: I think whatever we have going on, resistance acts as a suffering multiplier. Yeah. That's funny, because I, I guess if I was to have any gripe about how the three principles are taught, um, I see I see them being taught as a means to reduce our suffering. Mm. Whereas uh, as far as I can tell and listen to a lot of Sid Banks stuff, that Sid it was it's all really um, descriptive rather than prescriptive. Mm-hmm. So the principle, the teaching of the principle is often used as learn this and then you will suffer less. And I think that has us come from a place that's, That's not the most helpful because the, 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 this reducing in suffering. And quite frankly, it's not like the, the disappearing of all suffering. It really is this, there's something that eases around it. And it's like a contradiction that there's the suffering just becomes easier through understanding. It's like, I haven't done anything. I've not even tried to suffer less. And, and, um, I had, um, Aaron Turner, <clears throat> excuse me, Aaron Turner speaking on a podcast, um, a year or two ago. And he was, he said, he can always tell when somebody's relatively new to the understanding, cause he'll talk to them about the principles and they'll say something like, Oh yeah, it's been beautiful. It's been, had a beautiful impact on my life. However, I still notice that I'm experiencing sadness, anger, anxiety or whatever. Whereas he says that people who have, who have been in the understanding a while come to see that. Yes, that's it. You and the phrase he used, which I loved, and that's so I've stolen many times since, is you can't escape the system. Mm. Like this is this is all part of the gig, which is the language I use. It's like, yeah, this is it. This this is you know the heartbreak and whatever that that's all part of that's part of the gig. Yeah, it's part of the gig.
0: Yeah, I truly, I truly agree. Um, yeah, I was going to say there was something I used to think about, which was that it's kind of like we're trying to rig the game if we if we try to avoid the things that are naturally happening within it. And yeah, that kind of um, defeats the purpose as it were. <laughs> I think, who knows? Um, so I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go back to tasting mangoes and ask you, there was this lovely quote. So I'm going to quote you to yourself, if that's okay. <laughs> where you said, you just might find that you are looking for sorry, I'm going to start again. You just might find what you are looking for when you notice how your search is the very thing that is obscuring your view of it. So I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit and maybe relate it to trying to let go of an unwanted habit, because that's what we talk about here a lot uh, on Unbroken. Oh,
1: Oh, I'm glad you've (laughs) um, added the second part, actually, because that definitely will help in my explanation. So here's the thing if i search for something my premise is i don't have it or i can't yet see it or maybe it's detached from me in some way um and so um, there's a phrase there's a guy william whitecloud and i continue to credit him because the the phrase that i heard it just had such a profound impact where he he says what was it four or five words um Compensating strategy for perceived inadequacies. We employ throughout life various compensating strategies for perceived inadequacies. And I can see how any time that I employ a compensating strategy, my perceived inadequacy at, at the perception of that inadequacy gets strengthened by the action that I'm actually taking. Mm. right and that's happening at pretty deep levels like that's the message to my subconscious you know because you're inadequate in this way you need to do this it's like it's really strengthening that so even our searching for love that's having a a deep psychological impact in us that we don't have (laughs) love and that you know that can apply as well to peace like if I'm I'm searching for a piece, that means I don't have it. And that's why I continue to search. And yet because I'm searching, it strengthens the belief that I don't have it. And so that also strengthens my experience of it. So that's really what I'm pointing to in that quote. Mm-hmm. And um I think habits, you like overeating and stuff, I think there's there's very often more to them than just that, because there's there's um Gosh. Okay. So I know that I've had at various times, not the most healthy relationship with food. Sometimes I think I have it nailed and then I can catch myself using food as something other than, um, nourishment, I guess, but it might be, emo- I might use it for emotional nourishment. In fact, s- side note here, I think we could wipe out obesity in a generation. If we stopped as parents, if we stopped using food. As a reward mechanism, mm. right? so that's there's, there's a, a, a side note. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, that food becomes quite complex because we have an emotional relationship with food, other than you know it being fu- fuel and nourishment for our bodies. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that whole overeating thing generally. In my experience, when I've delved into this both in my own experience and with clients, it's never really actually about the overeating, right? That's a byproduct. That's a coping strategy. The overeating becomes a, is a coping strategy. So we want to look at, well, what's the perceived inadequacy, the perceived absence, what is it? And it can be for sure like, oh, I'm lonely, so I'm eating. Well, okay, so feeling lonely, completely natural. What is it? So, is there a perceived inadequacy that I can't deal with the loneliness? So there, there can be many different things to look at there, but the the overeating thing is not really it. It's really what's behind that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, thank you for saying that. Yeah, the title of my most recent book is "It's Not About the Food." Um, so oh, that's perfect. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I totally agree. Um, so in in your book. Um, one of the things, shifting gears slightly, one of the things you come back to a couple of different times is your relationship with your dad and how getting curious about him was a was a big moment for you and I, yeah, I wondered if you could share a little bit about that because I thought it was so impactful for any relationship, not just with a parent
1: gosh, i 'm just noticing as well even the the emotion in me is quite alive with this one because you know what so. I didn't like my dad for all of my childhood and mm. the vast majority of my adult life. It wasn't until I was 48, right? That I had this moment. <laughs> Which is kind of funny because I thought I'd done some work before then and I was like, yeah, I've forgiven him. And I remember um, a a girlfriend I had years ago was saying, no, there's still more for you to see here. It's like she could (laughs) see, she could see it. Yeah, yeah, okay, it looks like that to you. But she was absolutely spot on. Well, I... I think the emotion, by the way, is because I I, I just came. I, I arrived back. In, I arrived back in Bali in February. I'd been back to England for a few months and and, and in Greece as well. And, and so I, I I say goodbye again once again to my dad, who's now eighty eight. Mm. And like my plan is perhaps to be in Bali for a year. So you know, there's this thinking there, and it's like oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I I did not enjoy. I didn't enjoy. My dad, and um, in fact, he got a really bad press in my first book, Musings on Love. In in um, and I even used the term abuse. Mm. I had I had this moment of I, I've been seeing more and more and more and more and more the role of my stories. Right, so you've probably heard. Byron Katie says, "No two people have ever met." And what she's basically pointing to is that we only experience our story of the other person. That's a client of mine recently when I said to her, You know, there's six people in your marriage. There's you and your husband. Then there's your husband's story of you and your story of your husband. And and then there's your story of you and your husband's story of him. So it's like there's like <laughs> there's there's sad. six people. Wow. So um I realized in a moment, I thought, I've got all this stuff going on i won't use a word that you might have to bleep out but anyway i had all this stuff going on about my dad i just who knows where the thought came from what's it like to really be him though i was i was at his and and we just had you know talking about my book and stuff and i just realized i don't really know what it's like to be him i could imagine what it was like being me in his situation. And I imagined what it was like for the story, this, my story, my story of my dad in that situation. And it was, you know, laced with lots of shoulds and musts and what have you. And I and I just noticed, yeah, but I've, I've never spoke to him about it. I don't, I've never asked him, how did you feel? Dad, when you got home from a long day at work, there's four of us children, <laughs> You got home and I, I said, I remember you getting home and having your dinner separate from us because it was too late for us. Mm-hmm. And he would have his dinner and put his headphones on. And for 30 odd years since then, I've been saying, God, how out of order was he to just, you know, block out his family? Right. That was, that was my story. How mm-hmm. did that fear? And he admitted he found it tough. He found it hard mm-hmm. being a provider, being really tired. And then expected to be there for, you know, for his children. Well, I mean, <laughs> I have to say, I kind of, I do chuckle at people who say, who've never, who've never been a parent yet. And they're like, they've, they're about to be. And they're like, oh yeah, no, we get it. Like, no, no, you don't. We <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> don't get it. So. <laughs> um, so I I just start asking, what was that like for you? In in essence, what I was getting to know were what were here. I could, and I could see his coping strategies for life and for how he was feeling Mm -hmm. and realize, I mean, this is, this is a a, a kind of phrase or that's used very much in the principles is the innocence of that and just doing what makes sense. And, um, that leads on to something else about forgiveness because it's like, where I was coming from before was like, oh, what he did was wrong. Mm-hmm. But in my understanding, in my moral high ground, I can understand that made sense to him. So, yes, I forgive him. However, when you have a real depth of understanding, I can see that he was innocent. And therefore, the condemnation, well, it was... <laughs> The condemnation was unnecessary, and without condemnation, forgiveness is unnecessary. It was like it just made sense to me. I just started to really get to know, well, this is yet another layer, but I started to get to know who my dad thought he was, Mm. right? Because all I'd got up to that point was who I thought my dad was and who I thought my dad should be. Well, I started to get just to get to know who he thought he was.
0: Mm-hmm. wow and just and i'm so curious um your dad is obviously british so pretty stiff upper lip i'm imagining um was he uh was he open to your curiosity
1: i'm amazed by it because we it, it's funny. i can probably summarize um we never had any any deep and meaningfuls mm-hmm. we never had any conversations really about feelings in fact um leading up to this kind of breakthrough moment i'd had this um what i found a very painful breakup with somebody and at the same time just looping back to what i said earlier it was like i was utterly heartbroken at this at this breakup and yet at the same time i could see yeah this is cool this it's fine it's let it be. Let it be. Even the sobbing in the fetal position, in my lounge, like there was still a there was still a, a level of awareness that, yeah, this is all natural. Let that be. Anyway, I got to a point. I was round his one day, and he he just said, "Well, how are you doing?" And I just burst out crying. Forty odd year old man, <laughs> and uh, he said, "Oh, come on now, come on now. Let's not be having that here because that is that whole like stiff stiff upper lip." Attitude, and we never had any conversations about feelings. There wasn't that kind of affection there. And uh, there's a bit of me I'm kind of chuckling about that. I remember at the time, <laughs> and and things have developed since then. I don't even know if he's aware of this. Uh, I've shared that I've shared this before in other other interviews and whatever. But since since like these conversations. I I used to go to his house and I would sit on the sofa and he would sit at a chair, which is kind of at right angles. And I go around now and probably nine times out of 10, he comes and sits on the sofa with me. And I bet he doesn't even realize that he's doing that.
0: Oh, that's lovely. Wow. Oh, that's beautiful. And I, you know, I think I I resonate with that a lot because I can really relate when my dad came home from work, he didn't put headphones on. He drank same right? Same impulse. He was, you know, we do what occurs to us in the moment in order to cope with whatever's going on in our thinking and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I can completely relate to that. And the reason I asked that question about whether he was open to your curiosity or not, my dad has passed away now, but I'm you know, I he would never have answered a question like that if I had asked. So it's lovely that your dad has moved onto the couch with you.
1: I don't think he was comfortable about it because it was yes. like uncharted territory for him. And but he you know, he accepted that book with such grace when I offered it to him. Like, I was excited, my first book, and I, mm-hmm. I forewarned him, Dad, you don't get in fact, you know, I I I written stuff in the book, my first book, the first couple of books really was stuff that I'd written over a period of years. And I, I forewarned him that there's, there's stuff that I've written in there and published, which I'm, I would probably write differently today. And after reading it, he, he was, he was so excited to read it, took on board my uh, advanced warning of caution, and just called me up and said, well, I'd like, he said, I'd like to talk to you about some of the things in the book because he, he actually was something that I think stirred in him and, this is what i see in all of us do you know what I like we all do want to be known we want to be seen heard understood and indeed validated and it's like oh my god how much personal development relationship coaching do we see that says we should transcend that overcome that deal with that it's like no this is <laughs> we're not designed to just live alone um and and uh, it 's like this is again part of the gig is to be relating with each other with nature and 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 having those innate needs i 've given up on trying to transcend hundreds of thousands of years of human evolution like yeah i I have a need to be validated, I have a need to be seen, heard, understood, as did my dad, so because he he would have never <laughs> used those words, but you know i i I really honor him and I'm so grateful for him for. Um, for honoring that desire to want to have that dialogue because up till then, and indeed sometimes since (laughs) he's very stubborn. I I am too. I can see there's stuff I get from him. I don't know if it's generic or conditioning, but I can be really stubborn too, is that he, he didn't like to be wrong, but he did. That's probably my favorite thing altogether out of the Stephen Covey book. Is it, um, habit three? I don't know. Four. Seek first to understand. To understand. Yeah. Then be understood. Mm-hmm. And like, if you, if, if you want to know how to transform any relationship, professional, personal, if you take that, seek first to understand, then be understood. That's that, that whole curiosity thing as well. So yeah, in that moment, so, so grateful because it, it totally transformed my relationship with him we hug each other <laughs> it, it, it's just i have to say we're so different like we it's not like oh he's a best buddy that i love hanging out with like we're so different and that so he's someone that i i wouldn't be choosing just to hang out with but what what again instead of me resisting how he is and entertaining all of my stories right in the absence once again of that resistance there is this very natural love like the guy's my dad and he i i just <laughs> there and again once we start on the thought train so once i started really appreciating oh my gosh how hard it was for him and what a wonderful provider he was
0: mm-hmm.
1: of course he he's, <laughs> there's lots of things he did that are, are like he disowned me for 10 years right mm-hmm. and i cannot imagine doing that to my son like mm-hmm. And, and yet we, we discussed that. He is talking about how, um, it, it was with his second wife, the woman he left my mother for. I think, oh my gosh, that sounds like an impossible situation. Like he's having to choose between his wife and his son. Mm. Anyway, yes, I think we digressed a little bit. Just, I'm just super, super grateful that, um, and I, I don't know for sure, but I have seen it many times since that if I am curious, there's something in that. Like I can always go first when I'm coaching somebody around there relating. If I want more intimacy, the number one uh, requirement of intimacy is safety. So am I providing the safety for intimacy? Am I curious about the other person? Am I willing to go first? Will I be the change that I wish to see mm. in how I'm relating? So classic, isn't it? And it all fits together. So Um, yeah, just super grateful that everything that led up to that moment and, and indeed what's, what's blossomed since. Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, gorgeous. Um, You've, we've mentioned your books a few times. And one of the things I wanted to ask about was the writing process. So you mentioned there that some of them were writings over a long period of time. Um, Tell us about, yeah, just tell us about that, what you enjoy about it. um, What motivates you, that kind of thing to share what you see.
1: Whatever is alive, like the yeah. energy. Um, I can be in, inspired by BS. Um, in fact, I've written about being inspired by BS. It's like, like really whatever is alive. And um, there are some things. I, I published a book, just of poetry. I, I had this uh, moment one day. Um, it was, I think it was about 3.30 in the afternoon where I thought to myself, what if I've got enough poetry to publish a poetry book? And so I then um, started getting stuff together, and by the following morning, that was published on Amazon. I just put it all together, put a cover and whatever. So I'm, you know, I can talk about that, like with, with my clients. You say oh, I'd love to pul- I'd love to publish publish a book, but it would take too long. Okay, you can do it in less than twenty four hours if we want to. So that some of that poetry has just I can read it. In fact, Facebook's memory sometimes just reminds me, and I can read stuff that I've written. And I was saying, Oh, wow. And I can even see stuff in it deeper that I didn't see when I was writing it. So it's that cliche thing about writing this stuff that can come through us, like the, the genius, the true self, spirit, whatever names we want to use. There's that. There's some writing that I'm, I'm really opinionated, just like my dad. I'm really opinionated about stuff that the difference that's happened is, um, I have a very casual, very light, Humorous, amusing relationship with my opinions, right? Because I can see that they're not, they're not, they're not correct. They, they, that's all they are. They're just my opinions, but there's stuff that I can feel energized about that I will write and can be in a bit of a rant. I did something like that quite recently, actually, about some aspects of a coaching profession. Um, so that, that was genuine. And here's the thing. If, if writing becomes just really the vehicle of expression. I noticed when there are times when I try to write mm. it never works out very well mm. i can and in fact, a friend of mine reflected back to me exactly that he said some of your writing is just like mind blowing and yeah i can he was saying I can tell occasionally I see something from your yours, and i think yeah you you've tried with that haven't you <laughs> you tried to kind of try to make a point so um there isn't a single reason why i write um it just it 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 kind of happens, and in a way, I feel all five of my books are a bit of a cheat because I, I say, well, I haven't written any books. I've written stuff, and um, the stuff that's in those books I published elsewhere, predominantly on social media, and sometimes I, I've written for online magazines a few times. And and then I've I just like collated stuff, put it together, and put it in a book interesting i'm noticing now there are two books that i do have in progress and i'm kind of like determined not to publish that stuff i'm going to write a book and it's not going as well i'm not finding that so easy so i have to like ease up on that and just let the writing flow Mm. so writing is not really something i do it's something i allow
0: oh nice oh lovely that's well said uh i was in portland oregon recently with michael neal and barbara patterson and Michael has just published Mavis Karn's first book. And so he w- he told a little story there. He said, I went to her and said, Mavis, I'd love for you to write a book and share your wisdom and that kind of thing. And she said, I don't know how to write a book. There's no way. And he said, no, but you do know how to write letters. And so that's what it is. It's a, you know, beginning, of course, with her most famous letter um, to the children, the boys in prison. And uh, that's what it it is, a collection of her beautiful." Letters. Yeah, it's lovely. It's a really nice and really nice book. So we're just about running out of time here. I do want to ask you about Bali though, and what drew you there and what keeps you there?
1: Um, I moved into an apartment in in Ipswich in England. Um, I I woke up one day and realized I didn't want to be in my marriage anymore. I've been married and divorced twice. And I was just so clear. So I moved into an apartment. It's like I had I had what would look like the dream life: big, huge house, fast cars, eating at restaurants, and, and, and whatever. And I kind of had enough of it. I didn't even want a garden. So it's like there was this. I went from this huge life to this small. I moved into this apartment just for six months until I work out what I want to do with the rest of my life. And I was there for nine and a half years. It became a bit of a joke. Um Anyway, so Bali, I just came up in a conversation with a friend. The there were a few things that happened. That, again, there's not a single answer to this. Mm. Predominant, the predominant thing was that um, actually the move. There's two aspects: there's a moving to Bali, there's a moving away from England. There mm. were some friendships that had evolved. <laughs> To this, or perhaps come to completion would be perhaps the most kind way of saying, mm-hmm. and these were long term friendships two 20 odd years, one 30 odd years. Mm. We change, right? We evolve, and uh, it just mm. became really clear okay, these friendships are complete. And so, what was keeping me in England, other than other than you know, family and what have you, um, there was less of that. And, and there was this thing in me that I'd always talked about it of moving to somewhere warmer. And then I had a friendship with, um, my partner, uh, for a number of years. Actually, we met in a Facebook group. It might have even been a Michael Neal group. Um, by the way, so we've been friends for a while. And then in early 2019, this friendship, we just became more in that we were sharing more, talking more. And Then we bumped into this. Point of like, well, we don't know if we want to cross this particular line. It was never any like flirtatious stuff, but there was a lot of love and affection there and just felt like there's more to explore. So, um, I came to Bali predominantly to get away from s- <laughs> perhaps some sadness, quite frankly, of things that had completed in England and to meet this beautiful young lady who I'm now in, you know, this life partnership with. I mean, that's mm-hmm. been very, very bumpy um but yeah there are the reasons really are twofold the away from and 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 the towards
0: Mm. oh wow so interesting and there is a section in tasting mangoes where you sort of talk about the for lack of a better way to put the pros and cons of Bali. you know Mm -hmm. the, the mosquitoes versus the nice warm evenings you know the water versus the whatever the fresh fruit yeah yeah so i guess that goes with anywhere we live
1: I did that, like, again, looking for a place um, that I could pour, call paradise. And mm-hmm. um, I'm not really convinced it, it exists. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I definitely see that there's a, there's, there's a state of mind that, that feels like paradise. But like all states of mind, it's not permanent. It's transient.
0: <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. All right, well, <laughs> Phil. Well, as we wrap up, is there anything you'd like to share that we haven't touched on yet?
1: Oh, you know, I, I think, um, we have, we have touched on it, but I, I do want to labor the point because I invite people to really look at just how much time are, are we spending resisting what really are very natural aspects of being human mm-hmm. and what, what might happen if, what might, what might be available to us, what what experience of life might be available to us if, um, if we just let up on some of that resistance. So here's the thing. I know she, she won't mind me sharing with you. It's anonymous, but somebody I know, um, were, has, has experienced what anybody would call a betrayal. Mm. And, um, so she was, she was telling me on a call, I hate him. I, I feel like I hate him and I don't want to. Mm. And I simply said, well, to me, under those circumstances, it, it, it feels like, Having those feelings of hatred is perfectly natural. And and yet by then telling yourself, by resisting that, it's kind of like you're torturing yourself twice. How about you allow yourself to hate him to the best of your ability, to feel that hatred to the best of your ability? And we both kind of laughed at this, but like that, you know what? That's the same really with any feeling that we have. How about if we really allow that? if we really allow us to feel that to the best of our ability, like none of our feelings really need a, a coping strategy. Mm. They all really do pass. So, um, yeah, that's what I just really invite people to look at, to see what's it like to stop resisting being human. And once again, the ab- the absence of love arises in the absence of resistance. So I just invite people to consider what it would be like to love being human.
0: Mm. Yes. Yeah. Well said. Thank you. So where can we find out more about you and your work?
1: I'm mostly active on Facebook. Okay. And so people can find my profile. Uh, I set up a domain, which will just take you to my profile. it okay. will just take you to my Facebook profile. You can just follow me. I'm getting close to a Facebook friends list. So I might not accept a friend request, but you can certainly follow me and engage on there. Um, my very out-of-date website it does have my podcast on there, philg.com. And, yeah, um, the, my email address is on my website. So, yeah, I'm always delighted to hear from people if they've read something of mine that's touched them. Or even if they don't, if they don't like it, I'm also happy to hear from them.
0: <laughs> well, that's, that's generous of you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, <laughs> Phil, for being on the show. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you. I, I thoroughly enjoyed talking with you. I've, I've liked being this side of the, the whole podcast setup. So, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you.
0: Good. Oh, you're very welcome. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you for listening. I hope you found the show helpful and uplifting. You'll find all the backlist episodes and show notes at unbrokenpodcast.com. If you'd like to connect, go to alexandraamore.com forward slash connect. I'll see you next time.